0: You are listening to a White Ridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. A little bit. I'd like to talk a little bit about forgiveness this morning as we consider this incredibly important uh day, Good Friday. And uh as I talk about forgiveness, I think that what I'd like us all to be doing is to be thinking about whether our forgiveness has ever really been tested. Sometimes it is easy to think that we know about forgiveness, but sometimes that's because we really have never had our forgiveness tested. Someone said that whenever there is forgiveness offered, someone must be crucified. There's a story in a short story book of Ernest Hemingway called The Capital of the World. And Ernest Hemingway was not a Christian. He did not believe in God. But he understood the need for forgiveness. He tells a story about Madrid in Spain where many boys are named Paco. It's a short form for the name Francisco. And one day a father wanting to reconcile with his estranged son put an ad in the local paper, a personal column in El Liberal, the paper in Madrid, and all it said was, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montaña noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. And then he writes, Hemingway writes, that the civil guard had to be called out to disperse the 800 young men who answered the ad. We all long for forgiveness. We all understand that for the mending of relationships here on earth, there has to be forgiveness. We all know examples and situations, relationships, where there has, right from the time of the offense until the grave, people that have held on to judgment in their hearts against one another. Mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, friends and colleagues, every relationship that can be named is needing forgiveness if relationships are to coexist. There's an interesting study that I was reading about on forgiveness by a guy by the name of Dr. Robert Enright of the University of Wisconsin. He founded an organization called the International Forgiveness Institute. He's considered the initiator of forgiveness studies. And he developed a 20-step process of how to forgive. A 20-step process model of forgiveness that can be applied to any situation. His work has focused on also what kind of person or personality is more likely to be forgiving. This is an incredible study. he stated that that those who are more generally going to not forgive are the neurotic, angry, and hostile people. Gee, that's a surprise, isn't it? (laughs) Even studies in this area have shown that people are happier and healthier when they let go of resentments and learn how to forgive. In this University of Wisconsin study, they found that more forgiving people were, the more forgiving people were, the less they suffered from a whole wide range of illnesses. And the less forgiving people reported a greater number of health problems. Not really surprising. Another fellow by the name of Dr. Fred Luskin from Stanford University, author of a book called Learning to Forgive, presented evidence that forgiveness can be learned on the basis of his research. It can be learned. He was awarded, actually, uh, an award called the Champion of Forgiveness by an organization called the Worldwide Forgiveness Alliance. I didn't even know this group existed, but there is a Worldwide Forgiveness Alliance. And guess what? They have a forgiveness day. So mark it on your calendars. It's the first Sunday of August. And so whatever you've gathered up by that time you might want to lay it down on that day. Forgiveness Day. It's interesting. Human studies on forgiveness, for me, are very, very sad. And the reason they're so sad is because they present to me an attempt to do in our own abilities what we can never do if we do not have the heart of God in our own hearts. If we do not have the heart of God in the gospel of Christ in our own lives, we cannot forgive from the heart. Now, I don't deny that there is some element of forgiveness in anybody that maybe does not know God in Jesus Christ in their hearts, but somehow there is a disconnect between true heartfelt and heart forgiveness and the external act of just releasing someone from external judgment. The other que- the question, I guess I would put it this way, is whose shoulders are you going to stand on when you offer forgiveness to somebody who's really offended you? And again, I, I believe that some of us think we know something about forgiveness, and we can only say that because our forgiveness has never been tested. Well... Some of you know the writings of Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Her parents disapproved of her marriage so strongly that indeed they actually disowned her. And almost weekly, Elizabeth would write letters, love letters to her mother and father asking for reconciliation. And, and never once did her mother and father reply after 10 years of of almost weekly letter writing and mailing after 10 years Elizabeth got a box in the mail and she opened the box and to her dismay and heartbreak she found every one of those 10 years of letters and not one of the letters had been opened today those letters are esteemed by many as some of the most beautiful in classical English literature but perhaps if her parents had opened even one of those letters, perhaps reconciliation might have occurred before they died. It never did. You know, the Bible, God's Word, is, is His love letter to us. It's His letters of reconciliation and forgiveness to show us that we can be made right with a holy God. But unlike the story of Elizabeth Barrett Browning, the offense is so much more severe because the offended party, as we've been listening to this morning, is is holy and and just God Himself. And yet the one that takes the initiative in the reconciliation to make the forgiveness possible is also God Himself to restore the relationship. Unlike the Browning's parents, when we come to our Heavenly Father seeking forgiveness and reconciliation we find that actually he has done everything that is needed to make it possible. That's why the Christian message is so radically incredible. And that's what Good Friday and that's what Easter Sunday is really all about. It's remembering the historical reality, the truth of what God did to open up the way for us to be forgiven, to be reconciled. God Himself opened up the way God himself prepared the way we are all broken image bearers made in his image for his glory we were made to be in relationship with him and our sin has broken that relationship and now he himself took the initiative to pave the way to us and restore us to himself through his son but it was a costly way Because we know, and that's what we celebrate today, is that it cost his only son his only life. It came at the price of his own son, Jesus. On him all of our sin was laid. And for everyone who puts faith and trusts in the merit of that death of Jesus, God wipes away the sin and gives eternal life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He made Christ not just to bear our sin, He made Christ to be sin so that we might be the righteousness of God in Him. It's all a free gift. Did you know that at the time of Christ that by the time of christ i should say that the roman empire had already crucified as many as thirty thousand men just in palestine alone where jesus was crucified this was the common roman way of execution and that by the time of jesus thirty thousand had already died on those hills in palestine just like the one outside of jerusalem criminals and slaves and guilty accused, and, un- and innocently accused, and poor, and anybody that got in the way of Roman government. It would seem logical to ask the question that if crucifixion in Palestine was so common to have claimed the lives of thousands of men, why is it that down to this day in our age in history only one is known about? That all the annals of history only remember the name of one of those men that was crucified in Palestine. We know that from Scripture, there were two other men executed along with Jesus, but we don't know anything more about them than the fact that one of them seemed to be cursing God as he died, and one of them seemed to be calling out for mercy, and one of them was going to be offered an incredible gift of grace in paradise that day, and one of them was going to be judged in his sin. Jesus Christ, though, goes on in history and is remembered as the most significant of all deaths. And the Bible throbs with the answer of why His death was so significant. The Bible answers the question that His death is the death of all deaths. In fact, many would say, and if you can believe and trust in Him, it would be true for you if you've repented and confessed Him as your Savior, it is indeed the death of death itself. Can you imagine the death of death itself? Crucifixion was a common death. It was designed that way, to torture. It was designed to inflict pain. It was designed to prolong dying. The ancient Jewish writer Josephus said that it was the most wretched of all deaths known. Cicero said that it was the most cruel and disgusting penalty to observe what suffering the Lord faced for our sins. But was the merit of Jesus' death due to the intensity of the human suffering that he endured? Or was it something else? Or was the merit of his death related to something much different? And I think that the answer that we get to those que- that question comes in the scripture that we heard referenced earlier in the service from Gethsemane. when Jesus, after sharing the Last Supper with His disciples, goes down that valley and up into the hill, into the Mount of Olives, and He finds that Garden of Gethsemane where He would regularly go with His disciples or alone to pray. And in that place, we read that, that he, he went a little farther than the rest of them, and He cried out to the Lord, His Father. And I think that this passage of Scripture gives us three reasons why That his death indeed was so painful and why it held the merit that was needed to actually wipe away clean the guilty stain of our sin that each one of us bring to a Holy Father. And the first reason that we read about is is I would call it the pain of, of separation from His Father. The merit of Jesus' death is seen in who He was in relation to His Father, His Heavenly Father. We can never lose sight of that, that it was God the Son that was being rejected by God the Father. This oneness of the Godhead was being, for the first time in all eternity, ripped apart the scriptures bear witness of the intimacy, the absolute oneness of which we cannot understand fully that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had. And so Jesus, when he goes and falls on his face, he says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He does not say, My body. His physical sufferings had not yet really started. He said, My soul is overwhelmed to the point of suffering. Already he was tasting the wrath of God. Already he was putting his lips to the cup of condemnation. He knew that he would bear the wrath of the Father that we deserved. He says "In when it comes to the cross, Matthew's gospel just re- records one word or one of the sayings that Jesus of the seven that he had from the cross and it's my God my God why have you forsaken me the son talking to the father and twice in the in Matthew's gospel as well as in marks we get the the public appearance of not just God the son but God the Father. Why? Because you see, the Father shows up for the important events in the Son's life. That's what fatherhood does. Generally, the relationship that Jesus had with the Father, as we read it in the Gospels, is all alone and silent and quiet and private. He gets up early, goes off to a solitude, and, and he comes back and and yet, in, in a couple of instances, in those public moments, in those big events of the life of Jesus, the Father shows up. At his baptism, he shows up. And this voice from heaven comes and says, "My, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He couldn't keep it just between him and his Son. He wanted to tell the world. And then again at his transfiguration, when he goes up on the mountain with a few disciples, and Elijah and Moses appear again, the father cannot contain himself. He comes down in a booming voice again, and he says, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then he adds the words, listen to him. I think in those verses alone we get a little bit of the sense of why it was that his soul was overwhelmed to the point of death. Jesus could have died in Gethsemane having never been nailed to the cross or whipped or beaten in any way. He could have died just from the emotional and the spiritual separation from the Father. But as well, we see in the Scripture that there was the pain of separation from the best friends that he had on earth. We read in this passage in chapter 26 of Matthew, verse 39, that he went a little farther and he fell to his face to the ground and he prayed. And then in verse 40, he returns to where the disciples are and he finds them sleeping in his greatest hour of need. And he says to them, could you not keep watch for one hour? In verse 45, it, it says that he does it again and he comes back and he says, it's, he says are you still sleeping? In verse 41, it says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus was utterly alone in his greatest time of need. And then, thirdly, the intensity of Christ's sufferings was due to the pain of drinking the cup that only he could drink. There is a very interesting language that is used in the Gospel of Matthew that does not come through in some of the more abbreviated, like Mark's Gospel or rendition of the Gethsemane event. And the language that is used is, is the difference between verse 39 and verse 42. And it's very subtle, but I believe it is absolutely critical to understand that God the Son, Jesus, was being fully human as well as fully divine, was in that Garden of Gethsemane with absolutely the potential of not drinking the cup or of truly drinking the cup of God's wrath. In other words, it was a real choice before Him. It was a real choice before to not go through with the cross. And so he prays in verse 39, My Father, if it is possible, possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he continues on in prayer, goes back, finds the disciples sleeping, comes back into prayer, presses back into prayer, goes to the Father... And this time in verse 42, he says, It says, and he prayed, My Father, if it is not possible, that one word makes all the difference in the world. If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, your will be done. You see, the first time, if it is possible, the leaning of the humanity of Jesus is seen, the wrestling. Have you been in the the midst of wrestling like that where you know what is right, you know what God is asking of you, you're leaning towards, oh God, I want to escape this, I want to run, I want to hide. And then coming through prayer and wrestling to this place of serenity in God knowing that that's His will. That's what Jesus does in this text. And then it says in verse 44 that He left His disciples and came back alone again in prayer. And it says the third time He prayed, The same thing as the second time he had settled it he had settled the will of God in his heart and he was willing to drink the cup of condemnation and so Jesus experienced the father's wrath and condemnation he experienced the isolation of friends being absolutely alone he experienced the reality of drinking a cup that I that he knew only he could drink and so friends the worth of Jesus' death arises out of who he was and what he did. If you think about the example of an encyclopedia, perhaps it would help. It's quite amazing to think of how many words it would take it takes to fill a 30-volume Encyclopedia Britannica. I've not counted them. I haven't read what that number is. But the amazing thing is, is that the authors, in writing a 30-volume Encyclopedia Britannica, Confined themselves to just 26 letters. (laughs) And that's a picture of what we see when we think about who God is and how God was made manifest in Jesus. God did not have to go beyond the person of Jesus Christ to explain who God is to humanity. Because Jesus Christ... All the fullness of the Godhead is in Him. He is the Alpha and the Omega and everything in between. He is the image of the invisible God. All things were created by Him and for Him. And in Him everything exists. And He is all sufficient. And so when we come to God through Jesus Christ and we lay down our sin, our condemnation, the rock Of condemnation that we carry in our bosom. The unforgiveness toward others that we're incapable of rising to. You see, whenever someone is forgiven, someone must be crucified. Forgiveness is releasing someone from your condemnation and your judgment. And friends, I believe that's not possible because you cannot give what you have not received. And so that's why... The Christian gospel is a message that is absolutely God, the initiator, God, the giver, God, the forgiver, giving us what we need so that we can then stand on his shoulders to offer someone else the forgiveness that they need from us. Has your forgiveness been tested? If it has and it's been found wanting, maybe today is your invitation to know how to get that done bring the rock of condemnation that Jesus Christ the cup of condemnation that Jesus Christ drank for you bring it in the form of this rock and lay it down receive from God everything that you need to be made right with a holy and eternal God Receive the gift of his forgiveness and eternal life, peace with God, and stand on the shoulders of your older brother, Jesus Christ, to forgive those that that trespass against you. You see, with his wealth of grace in our hearts, anything that anybody could ever do to you is very small in comparison as we get ready to share around these tables of the Lord that has been spread before us there's one in the foyer for those that are out there there's three at the front here as you come forward I want you to know that you do not need to come forward if you are today hearing the Christian gospel the message of Jesus for the first time and you have so many questions that you don't understand just stay seated where you are you don't need to come forward but maybe you wanna ask someone that brought you or one of the pastors or someone ask them more if if you have questions I would encourage you to do so but if today you want to remember the death of Jesus in a special way please come forward Bring the stone that you were given when you came in and let this stone represent the condemnation that Jesus Christ received from the Father, the wrath of the Father upon him that should have been placed on you. Bring this forward and leave it in the bowl at the front. And remember, as you drink the cup and eat the bread, remember that it was Jesus Christ who drank the cup that only he could drink. To, to to liberate sinners from sin. We're going to take some time in this moment to worship. The lights will come up, and you'll be coming forward. Just simply put the stone in the bowl, take the bread, and then take the cup, and then go back to your seat and continue in prayer and in worship, if you'd like. There's no need to line up in the aisles. Uh, We're not going to stop as long as anybody is coming forward. We're going to continue singing. And so please don't feel like you have to line up. But do it in your own time and in your own way. Let me pray for you and for us as we get ready for communion. Father, now as we think about the the Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, the one that you sent. The one that bore the, the brunt of the wrath of your anger for our sake. Lord, we, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts, and we think about how, how so often we just dis- displease you, how, how often, Lord, we know that we do not live as we should. Your, your commands say that we're to love you with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, and we say, along with Martin Luther, that there's not a day in our lives that we've done that perfectly. In fact, we can't even foresee a day in our lives when we will do that perfectly. We love you so imperfectly. And for that reason, O God, we stand today just as much in need of your grace as the day we first heard about Jesus. So would you receive each sinner that comes forward today Drops down the rock of condemnation and lifts up the cup of blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. We have three stations in the front. We also have one in the foyer. Feel free to approach whichever station is closest to each-